Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Scripture reading this morning, or this evening, rather, will be taken from John chapter 3 and verses 1 through 7. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. As we launch into our work week and to our school week and all that we have planned, I want to give you seven verses. I think these are perhaps familiar verses, but I want to draw out what is unique about them and consistent between them. And it is, for all of them, the word except. Except. Now, you know the word ultimatum. Maybe sometimes that has a negative connotation, I don't know, but ultimatum means it's got to be this way or not at all. Or maybe the word anomaly. An anomaly with which you're familiar means this is an exception to the rule. It is, it is, it has been this way. It progresses this way. But now here's something that is just different. And we, we use the word anomaly. Now the King James uses the word in many passages, except. And so tonight I want to primarily use the King James. It doesn't matter, really. The the New King James will use the word unless, but it just seems to me that except has a, a better bite to it. It's a little stronger word. Except this is true, here's the consequence of that. Now, what I would like for you to do, and I'm going to, in reference to one of them, I'm going to put the, 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 the verse on the screen twice, and one time I'm going to pull out the exception clause just to emphasize. But you could do that with every one of these, where you where you could just read the verse without the exception and, and get the feel of that. So here are seven verses, familiar verses, all of which use the word except. Number one, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman wakes but in vain. Psalm 127 and verse one. So our first exception has to do with success in our home. And it's really very simple. Lord's got to build your house for you to be successful. Now, for this to mean anything, of course, you have to have an accurate definition of success. If you don't know what that is, why, you can ask any of our children and they'll be happy to tell you that true success is living your life and going to heaven. True failure, no matter what else is true, is living your life and being damned. I I want my children to go to heaven. More than anything else, I want my children to go to heaven. And so here's the instruction. Here's the exception. Except this happens, you'll fail. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Want a successful home? Well, we go to pastures then, and you know them. 
like Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, and that the wives are to be submissive to their own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. And husbands, verse 25 of Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And it's about Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 1, that children are to be taught to obey their parents in the Lord. Children not another word, obey. For this is right, and to honor their father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And we could go on with each of these. I just want to make the point that the Bible says here, except this is true about your home, your labor in vain. And here's the second one. Except... Verse nine, uh, Matthew 19 and verse 9. This has to do with divorcing and remarrying and still having God's approval. Now, this is the one that I mentioned that I want to, I want to pull the clause out, the exception clause. And let's read it this way first. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. All right. Look at that closely. Got it? We'll give you a minute. Now let's put in the exception clause. Whoever divorces his wife, except... Now see, here's one circumstance under which that would be right. I can tell you right now that preachers all over the land have found other reasons. But I believe you and I ought to stick with Jesus. And what it says here is, except it be for sexual immorality. The Greek word means fornication. It means sexual sin. It's not merely the sin of looking at pornography. It is the sexual act of fornication. Whoever divorces his wife except for fornication and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced then commits adultery. The one circumstance then under which God will approve a remarriage, aside from death, of course, of a spouse, is if a person put away his spouse for the cause of fornication. May have been some other problems involved in that, but the straw that breaks the camel's back needs to be, has to be, that, I, that for fornication. I've got to be able to say to my Lord, I put away my spouse for this reason. Except it be for this reason, then here is the law. Here is the principle. Parenthetically, do you ever wonder why this is the one I mean by that, all the different problems you can imagine that break up marriages where marriages just go sour and it's awful. Talk about darkness. This is darkness. But it's not just about fornication. And sometimes fornication doesn't even get involved in them. Sometimes it's not about adultery at all. It's about other kinds of things. And you say, well, why didn't he make additional exceptions? Um, I, my theory about that, can't prove it, but I, I think it's because he knew how it felt. Now bear in mind that the bride of Christ as you know, is the church. And so what's the word that James will use in James 4 and verse 4 when the church becomes worldly? Ready for this? You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. The word world there means, means this, this disposition that is opposed to the things of Jesus Christ. It's not the planet, it's not the people of the world, it's a disposition, it's a way of viewing things that it's opposed to Jesus Christ. That's worldliness, that's what the Bible would call of the flesh and not after the spirit. And when, when James looked at that, 
He said that's how Christians, some of the Christians had become, and he referred to them as adulterers and adulteresses, not for sexual reasons, but because they had, they had, they were married to Christ, and now they're taking another, if you will. So here's the third one. Humility in Christianity. I love this one. Jesus took a little child to him, and you remember this, and he said, except you be converted, except for this, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall in no wise inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, you could take out the exception clause, if you like, and read it that way, but that's, that's very dire. I'm telling you, you do that, and this exception business takes on a huge importance. Except for this, you won't go to heaven. What is it, Christians? Except you become as little children. Now, that doesn't mean childishness. It means childlikeness. Children are the best people in the world. Don't ever trust a man who doesn't love children. All right? Something's wrong with that man. Children are the best people in the world. And what kinds of things come to your mind when you think about what Jesus is talking about here? He's, you, maybe maybe it, would, it would go something like this. Love suffers long and is kind. Love, love envies not, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeks not her own, is not easily provoked, and you could go on and on. He's talking about humility. That's the point of what Jesus had to say. And he, he bound it here as being the kind of character that everybody in this room needs to have. Now, here's number four. We're going to do seven. The fourth one is the price of redemption. Matthew 26, 42. Again, a second time he went away. So you understand, you know where this context is. You know that Jesus is there in the garden. I've stood there myself. I don't know the spot, but you can go to the Garden of Gethsemane today. And, and he prayed saying, oh, my father, if this cup, this cup, that means the suffering cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, thy will be done. except I drink it. This is, this is correlated, this is connected to Isaiah 53 and verse 10, when the Bible says that it pleased the Lord to bruise, bruise him. You just can't wrap your mind around it, around it if you think that it has to do with pleasure in the suffering of his son. It doesn't make any sense. You can't make that make sense. And so in what sense did, did God, was God pleased? And the answer is because there wasn't any other way. If there's no other way except that I drink it, thy will be done. But well, but the fact is, there was no other way. There was nobody who could do this except Jesus, and you know that. And so here's the exception. And remember who it was that delivered Jesus up to be crucified. Do we have that straight? Because if you say it was the Jews, mm, that's, that's not what Romans 8.32 says. If you say it was the Romans, well, there's a sense in which that's true, but that's not what Romans 8 and 32 says. And if you say, well, it's all of us because of our sins, certainly there's truth to that, but that's not what the Bible says in Romans 8, 32. The Bible says that, that God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. God, God delivered him. God's the one who delivered him. And the reason he did it was because there wasn't any other way. I, I, I've thought so many times about the Lord on the cross and saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in the garden, 
if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And if there's ever a time when God Almighty, who had all power, I mean, had there been any other way, surely he would have done it, but there, but there wasn't any other way. So, except for that. Now, here's number five. The need for repentance. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a few verses, because if I don't, I don't think that we often get this context. When we talk about the plan of salvation, it's not uncommon for people to throw in this one. I don't mean that disparagingly, but, but for repentance, we often will hear Luke chapter 13 and verse 3, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Well, it's applicable. I don't think it's a wrong thing to use it when we talk about the plan of salvation. I doubt it's the best one. I think Acts 2.38 is probably the best one to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. But in this passage, Jesus is talking about, well, let's read it together. I'm in Luke 13, beginning in verse 1. There were present at that season some who told him, Jesus, about the Galileans. Now, these are Jewish Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. We don't have ancient secular history to demonstrate this, but it's no surprise that Pilate would do it because you do read from secular historians, uh, Philo and and, um, Josephus will talk about the, the viciousness of Pilate, the, the bloodiness of, of Pilate. And so what happened is that, that Pilate went into these Galilean Jews when they were offering their sacrifices, and he just slaughtered them. Now, read on. Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the Galileans because they suffered such things? That's very interesting. Now, hold that in your mind, and let your mind wander back to the book of Job, And remember Job's friends who said to Job, Job, you're suffering really bad, terrible suffering. We don't know what you did to deserve this. We just know that a man who suffers like this is suffering because God is paying him back for some awful sin he's committed. Now, we think you just need to confess your sins. What is it that you did, Job? Bring out the secret. Turn the light on this. And Job says, it's just not true. It's not true. So hold that. That's what this is about. And Jesus says, you know about Pilate slaying those, those Jews in, in Galilee, those Galilean Jews, that is. And then Jesus says, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. The point is that he says, you, you think they were worse sinners? You think they were worse? You think they were unique in their sin? Do you think that? Well, the answer is no. And he says, no, the answer is no. I tell you, nay, except you repent, you'll likewise perish. That is to say that you as a human being are susceptible, vulnerable to violence. You are. It wasn't because they sinned worse. It's because Pilate decided to kill him. That's what it was. You think you're special, he says. And in the context of reconciling your life to God, he says, except you repent, you're going to likewise perish somehow. You, you, don't think, you, you don't think you're going to live forever. You're going to die, and it may be very abrupt. And the fact that you're holding off on repentance is just foolishness. I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you're going to perish too. But that's not all. Then he goes to the next one, verse 4. Or those 18, this is not about violence. This one's about accidental death. It's just another illustration. Or those 18 on whom the, the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, Do you think they were worse sinners than all the men who dwelt in Jerusalem? Is that what happened? God was punishing them for their sins, some awful sin they'd committed? Is that what you think? And you can see them shaking their heads. No, 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 no. I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you'll likewise perish. What does it mean? 
I think there's a couple of things. And, and one is that it is the, it is the state of man that we as, as mortals are vulnerable creatures. And, and, and life may be, this is not pessimism, it's realism. And life could be snuffed out at any time. How do you respond to that? I know how you respond because you're a Christian. And Christians have made preparation with God. We've, we've reconciled with God through Jesus Christ. And so if I, if I die today, all right then, because we're going to heaven. We're just going to go to heaven. And that, that's the first emphasis. The second thing is about 40 years from this, about 40 more years and the destruction of Jerusalem is going to come on. And there won't be any Christians killed. Matthew 24 had warned them about that, and the Christians are going to get out of Jerusalem. But to these Jews, he, he says, I tell you nay, but except you repent. And perhaps in his mind, he's thinking about the upcoming destruction of Jerusalem. It's going to be vicious and bad. And perhaps he's, perhaps he's thinking, leaning on that, when he says, I tell you nay, but except you repent. But here's the bottom line. Listen closely. This is about reconciling to God. This is about, why do you need to do this? Let me give you a motivation. You think that you're better than they? People who died because of violence, you think that they're, you're better than those who died from accidental death. And it's, it's just realism. And the answer is, except you repent, you'll likewise perish. All right, here's number six. We're going to do seven. The need for righteousness. This is Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. Except your righteousness... She's got some really good lungs, doesn't she? We're proud of those lungs. There we go. She's upset because of what's about to happen. You think that we should pause just a minute? All right, here we go. Matthew 5 and verse 20. Except she's my granddaughter. That's why I, was, that's why I said that. It occurred to me that you might not know that, and if you don't, you'd think that was terrible, but he just did. It was terrible. All right i got two more. Here you go. Accept your righteousness. Now, I put New King James, unless your righteousness, accept your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Devoutly religious. They were devoutly religious. The problem is, as Jesus would point out, that they minded the little things. They were really, really careful about the little things. But at the, of religion, about worship, about obeisance to God, careful about the details. They drive people crazy about the details. Now, I'm not saying it was wrong for them to abide the details. I'm not saying that at all. I think we ought to be conscientious about how we serve God and serve God with excellence. But the point is, while they were doing that, they were letting the big things go, like justice and truth. And Keith taught a great class this morning about about transgenderism and homosexuality and about, uh, toward the latter part of the class, he said that, that we've got to remember when we, when we see a transgender, and in his case, he's a high school teacher, we see a student that's transgender. I, our, our reaction as Christians can't be to hate that person. Our, it can't be that, that our first reaction is one of anger and of dis finding that person despicable and, oh, you get the point. Our, our first reaction is, this person's really mixed up and needs help. This person needs Jesus Christ. And that's what, that's what we have to... And, and, so, and then the observation that while we're doing that, which is right, 
We're going to help people come to Christ to the best of our ability. And, and when we do that, though, we've got to make sure that we and our own characters don't get in the way of that. A lot of good it's going to do when a person, a, a young person, for example, is in that sin and so, so has lost his identity or her identity because of Satan and this attack. They, they've gone a the wrong way. There are lots of people who are going to endorse, endorse that action. You can imagine that boy or that girl at night going home and thinking about the day and thinking about the fact that you got two different points of view and you got one, most of the people in the world who are saying, yeah, go, you're so brave and courageous and we're so proud of you. And then we hear these Christians and their view is opposite. You know what? We love you, but this isn't right. You can't go to heaven like this. Let's study the Bible because the Bible's the word of God. There's two different points of view, but if the Christian point of view, though right, is clouded by the fact that when she thinks about those Christians, she thinks about dishonor or temper or a foul mouth, or and you can just go on and on and on. What if our characters stand in the way of our influence for good on people? And the answer is it just all is destroyed. It crumbles to nothing. And there's the Pharisees. And Jesus says, and, and if I could just extrapolate that. What the meaning is that Christianity is not a part of your life. Christianity is a lifestyle, and it affects and has to affect every part of us. Everything that pertains to me has to be affected by the fact that I serve King Jesus. Everything. God help us not to be in the way when we try to bring Christ to the light to the world. All right, here's the last one, and it's this, the necessity of being in God's family. And so here's John chapter 3 and verse 3, and it's really where we started tonight with the reading, and this is about Nicodemus. And Jesus said, verily I say unto you, except a man be born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. Now, it makes you, this just makes it a little hard to breathe when you pull the exception out of that can't see the kingdom of God. That's, a, that's an awful thing to contemplate, isn't it? But here's the exception, and that is that we are born again. And what difference would that make? How does that even make sense? And Nicodemus didn't get it. Can a man enter into his mother's womb again and be born? I don't get this. How can you be born again? And Jesus says that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Did you ever understand that? Bear in mind that he's talking to a Jew. And a Jew was born into Judaism. A Jew was born an Israelite. It wasn't what he became, it's what he was. It's part of the bloodline. He was never converted. He never bought into that, except through the raising of his parents. It wasn't really a decision he made, it was how he was born. That which is of the flesh is flesh. But that's different from Christianity, because you don't have any Christians that didn't, didn't choose to be Christians. You can't, you can't get it that way through your bloodline. You can't do that. I was born into a great family of Christians, and my granddaddy donated the land on which this property was. You can't do that. That's not, that doesn't make any difference. You've got to be born of the Spirit. Then he goes on to say that you've got to be born of water in the Spirit. What does it mean to be in the fam- born again, to be in the family of God? And it involves water. Well, you go over to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26, and the Bible says that we're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. 
For as many of us as were baptized into Christ, wait, there's the water, baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death. So, the bottom of that is, the, the conclusion of that is, here's the exception. If you won't obey the gospel, you'll never see the kingdom of God. You have to obey the gospel. Now, we could quibble about whether you or I would have written the book this way if it were if it were we, we were doing that. And the answer is, but our opinions don't matter. What does the Bible say about how I become part of the family of God? Oh, I want to be part of the family of God. And you have this exception here. Now, the reason I preach this sermon is because I just think it's a great way to begin our week and to think about the import, the weight of things. Here's how it is. And you say, no, wait, wait, I can't bear that. Yeah, but there's an exception. Accept this. If this happens, so that sounds a little bit like an ultimatum, doesn't it? Or even an anomaly sometimes. But it makes me awful thankful for the exceptions. The verses with the exceptions. Are you part of the family of God? If not, why don't you obey the gospel? The Lord Jesus Christ died on that cross for you because there wasn't any other way except that happened, we couldn't have hope. And except you obey the gospel and become part of the family of God, be born of the water and the spirit, you, you can't, you won't see the kingdom of God. Aren't you thankful for the mercy of our God? Maybe you're ready to obey the gospel. Tonight will be a great night and we'll be so happy to help you. Or if you need the prayers of Christians, we're, we're here for you and we will, we will do that right now. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. Brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.